Olin and Savi regards to the faculty at Emeta, as well as Sally regards to registered guests. Sally, by the way, means undulant or vibrating. This is the main professor, the founder of the school, and I'm here today on Friday, the 4th of November, with an unusual announcement. Well, unusual in what way? Could be said that a lot of what I say is unusual, but I am taking the measure of posting this talk on the men here, if I can. I don't think I've ever posted a talk on the men here before. In any case, I'll try, and if I can't, it will be there for free on the visitors page, and it will also be on my YouTube channel, John Lamb Lash. So, what's it all about, Rome? The unit that is indicated in this little post on the men here, where you keep updated with the activities of Nemeta, is called the Five Skull Crown Instruction. I formerly called it the Five Skull Crown Initiation, and both terms are correct. It is an initiation, but what kind of initiation is it? Does it come on raw feed through DI, which is Dakini instruction? Or does it come from the main professor based on his studies and his experimentations in mysticism and shamanism and applied noetics, which is the correct term for the living gnosis today? Where does it come from? Well, it comes from the maternal instinct of your divine mother. I said at the beginning of Planetary Tantra, when I wrote the Tantric Conversion, and I correlated certain deities, female deities, in the Sri Vidya system of India with Gnostic deities, Gnostic aeons, and aspects and emanations of those aeons. No, Devata simply means an emanation or radiation. So all the Devatas in the Shakti cluster are simply emanations of the living luminosity and intelligence of the mother planet. So I indicated from the beginning that the 10 Devatas which are called the Mahavidyas that I drew from the Dravidian system of Eastern mysticism, Hindu mysticism, if you will, are all infernal bitches and they're not particularly maternal, but one of them is, and I pointed this out, 
That's why we call her Tantra Mother. Her name in the ancient tradition of the East was Vajrayogini or Dorje Fagmo, to use the Tibetan. That is the white sow goddess. So I said that she has certain maternal qualities. And this teaching of the five skull crown comes from her maternal instinct and my maternal instinct. So what I'm doing in offering this to the faculty and in giving you who are registered visitors this preview is that I'm playing out my mother's side. I'm acting maternally. You can also act maternally. And I wouldn't presume to come at you in this way, making such a statement, if I didn't know that what I do at a certain level of mastery, you could say, you also can do, and I wouldn't bother talking to you if I didn't believe that. You feel me? Now, right here, coming out of the gates, it could certainly be objected that I don't have the capacity, the background, the experience to exhibit and express a maternal instinct, right? So I'm a man, never give birth to a child. I've never given birth to a child, and I can't. And I've never related much to children in my life, and I have not been a parent. Now, I've heard it said in that massive rumor mill of the collective subconscious, which brims over into speech in social and collective language, you know, I've heard it said that no one who has not been a parent, a parent, uh, has any business talking on what it's like to be a parent. But you know, there's a wonderful comeback to that comment from a Shakta who is close to me, who said, yeah, maybe so. I don't know what it is to be a parent, but I do know what it is to be a child. And who knows better than the child about parenting? Because the child is the target of parenting, you see? So I'm parenting. And in presenting the five skull crown instruction, as I said, I'm acting on my maternal instinct, as you can do as well. Now, before I describe what is the five skull crown initiation in explicit terms that you will never hear anyone anywhere else or from anyone else but me, 
I want to say a word about my maternal attitude. You see, and my maternal attitude, by the way, is identical with the maternal attitude of Tantra mother. There is no difference. Imagine a parent with their child, a young mother with her son of four years old. She looks at the child with love and adoration. One presumes this to be the case. And what does she see? And how does she make the connection? How do, if there is genuine love and adoration coming from that biological mother to her biological child, where is the connection? How actually does that bond manifest? Well, you could say, sure, it manifests in the affection she gives to the child and all the wonderful things she does for the child, you know, when it's a child and hopefully for its well-being and its betterment as it grows up and so forth and blah, blah, blah. And none of that is essential. This is the essential, the essential transaction of maternal love happens on the brow. It's on the brow. And when you look at a very small child, when I look at a very small child, I always look at the brow of that child. And you may have done the same. You may have noticed that your attention is drawn to its brow above the eyes. Of course, you have eye contact with the child. Transactions occur. Whatever. But there is a transcendent transaction happening at the same time. See, the recognition of the beauty and innocence of a child goes from the brow of the adult who is capable of granting that recognition, having owned it in their own self-love, to the brow of the child, and it goes directly. It is like a unifying magnetic band is a magnetic band. It is a biomagnetic band of recognition. So when I look at a child, I project from my brow, not even the expression in my eyes, although that's supplementary, I project the primal innocence of the child in me to that child. I make that bond brow to brow. And in that bond, the beauty and the innocence between us is generated and preserved. You see? And you can do that as well. When you look at children, teenagers, adults, old people at the end of their lives, you can realize and practice this ritual of bonding recognition. That is the pure, direct, and transcendent expression of the maternal love of Tantra Mother.
That is how she recognizes her child. But if you do not have at first in yourself the recognition of your own divine child held in self-love, you cannot form or hold that bond. Now, what about the five skull crown initiation? Hey, dude. Hey, main professor. What is the big deal? It is a very big deal. And I'll tell you exactly how I set up this instruction. You might remember a while ago that a certain Yud introduced to the world the grandiose concept that we can all go live in the virtual and forget about real life. We can all live in social media, which is a, an absurd redundancy, and visit our friends virtually. We never have to leave the home. All you have to do is what? You know what it is, don't you? Put on this VR headset. And then you can live in the virtual. Forget about the real. The instruction of the five skull crown begins with the assertion that human animals living on earth at this time and for some time already are wearing a VR headset. You are wearing the archontic headset. It's invisible, but it is extremely powerful. And what I did when I began to speak of this particular topic, which by the way, is probably in the top 10 of premium Gnostic Intel on the planet. I made it clear that I made a correlation between that VR headset, which goes across your forehead, covers your eyes, and comes down around the sides and covers your ears as well. I made the point of saying, hey, guess what? I propose that there's a correlation between that VR headset and the five skull crown motif that you see everywhere in Buddhist and Vajrayana iconography. If you've ever looked at any of the dangerous guardians any of the powerful tutelary dakinis, that means teachers, tutelary, you see in those tankas that those powerful female entities, and some male as well, are wearing a five-skull crown. Two of the skulls come around to the forehead, back toward the ears, Two of them go over the, are above the eyes, and there is a larger central skull in, guess where? In the middle, in the forehead. So what you need to know 
is that this instruction tells you that you are wearing this VR headset. And it describes in detail the mechanisms of the headset and how it works through the two devices over the ears, everything that you hear, the two devices over the eyes, everything that you see, and the central skull in the middle of the forehead, everything that you imagine, especially when you imagine what it means to be human. Now, once you have those two images, VR headset and the five skull crown, you can switch them back and forth. You can toggle between them. And this is what I do in this unit in course four on Gnosis Today. So I describe the construction and functioning of the VR headset, which is, not, which is a narcotic implant. And then I describe what are the particular subversive, perverting, delusional, and toxic features of the headset. And then I describe point by point, one through five, going all the way across from left to right, how to convert and how to dissolve and convert those poisons that are inherent to the function of this archontic headset. So that is the essence of what this instruction tells you. Fine. Now, normally, if I can ever be said to do anything normally, I would cut it at this point. I would post 18 minutes of the introductory talk on my YouTube channel, and, and then I would say, hey, hey, muchachos and muchachos, come on over and learn the deep secrets of how your own mind works and your true mind, how your true mind works and how the false mind works. But I'm not going to do that. And I make no excuses for continuing, except to say that I often think of that line from Oscar Wilde, who said, I can resist everything but temptation and my line, built on that line, is I can resist everything but the temptation to be generous. So I'm going to be extremely generous with you. But I warn you, I assure you, although I don't charge for my generosity, it does have its price. That transaction is entirely voluntary, of course, and I neither oblige nor require anyone to meet that transaction. 
It's a free choice of yours if you choose to make it. So what now? What now is going to be this grandiose expression of megalomania on my part in which I confer upon you total strangers that I don't know and will never know a gift of generosity. Well, it's quite simple. I'm happy to be able to speak to visitors and I want to introduce you to a word, a term, a definition of identity. And I invite you to consider this identity. You see, some things have come up in the course of this year. I mentioned them in a couple of talks. And they disturbed me greatly. Um, it caused me concern to find out that certain voices in the so-called right-wing school of thought in America were using the term Gnostic and Gnosticism by comparison to Marxism. And so they were branding, strangely, the Gnostics as somehow being forerunners of the Marxists, which is absurd. Guilt by association, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, uh, they have taken the habit now of condemning Gnosticism as, as if it was a distant forerunner in ancient times of Marxist ideology today. And of course, as I pointed out, in conflating Gnosticism with Marxism as a way to defame Marxism, they are also defaming the Gnostics. And that struck my funny bone in a kind of unfunny way. I've been brooding about that for a while, and I came to this conclusion, and that's what I'm here today to share with you, if you'll forgive me lapsing into California idiom. I realized, well, something's got to be done here. I mean, it's still valid within the precincts of the school if I say the living gnosis today is applied noetics, noetic psychology, and I can fucking prove it. So come along for the ride. It's a thrill. That's fine in the inner circle, you know, among us esoteric folks. But I've been trying to get out the Gnostic message in its actual authentic form, not the patristic straw man argument about the Gnostics, falsely alleging what they thought, but what they actually thought. You see, I've been trying to get that out for 15 plus years, right? So when this little glitch or blip came up in the internet media, I said, all right, I guess this, this is it. I guess the moment has come 
to phase out the word Gnosticism and Gnoste. But what other word can I use? What can I tell you out there, you who are listening, if you're still able to hang on for 24 minutes? If you care and dare to listen this long, what can I tell you? What name can I give you to replace Gnostic? Maybe you've been attracted to all this jabber of mine. And you think, wow, I guess basically inherently I'm, I'm a Gnostic too. I kind of think that way. My imagination works that way. Oh, I love this connection to the wisdom of God. I say, oh, maybe I'm a Gnostic. Maybe I should put on that badge. Don't put on that badge. Put on the badge that says Thelion. T-H-E-L-I-O-N. And it rhymes with Hellion. And it must be true because, well, you know. Thelion. That's the term I propose to replace Gnostic not only as a noun, I am a Thelion, but as a, an ad. Uh, adjective, I follow the Thelian way. So I'm happy to announce this term to you. And now, believe it or not, I'll even explain what it means, because I wouldn't ask you to consider wearing this badge if you didn't know what it means, right? Many people are walking around wearing the badge of Marxist, and they don't have the faintest idea what it means, I wouldn't want to lure you into that kind of nefarious deceit. So, what it means is simple. You see, the root cell is contained in the name of the consort of the wisdom goddess, Thelite. So it was Thelite and Sophia who designed you they designed the human genome in the galactic core. This is what the Fallen Garth scenario tells you. By the way, it's an enormous fiction. But as I pointed out, somewhere else at some other time, the admitted fiction is more powerful than the non-admitted. So this great fiction this great fictional narrative says that there were two divine powers in the galactic center, Sophia and Thelite, and they encoded the human genome with seven specific properties, and then they registered, materially registered those properties in nucleic acid, and that is actually the origin of the human genome, which is the origin of you. No matter what race you belong to, the generic origin of your identity and your physical instrumentality, your body and mind, is the genomic plasma of the anthropos. This is the high teaching of the Thelian way of life. So if you accept that, just for starters, then you are on the road to being a Thelian. But it gets better. Because what does Thelite mean? 
Well, it's variously translated, but basically it means, or has been translated as the intended. I'm guessing it's translated that way because of the Greek grammatical form of the word, the intended, that which is intended, is thelite. And if you recognize and dwell in that which is intended, then you are a thelian, rhymes with hellion, which means basically that thelians are apt to cause a hell of a lot of trouble for other people who are not thelians. Fair enough. So hang on. I'm wrapping it up. That which is intended. Well, suppose I uh, happen to be sitting with you on your deathbed. You're going to die, and you know it, and you're going to die in five or ten minutes, but you're still coherent. You can understand what's said to you. You can respond, and I say, hey, hey, you, hey, hey, muchacha, un muchacho, hey, kid, tell me, there's your life. Was that what you intended it to be? You see, this is the core of the existential tragedy of the human condition, There are so many cases. There is an imaginary number of people, a vast number, who live their lives not as they intended it, but as they were told to live their lives. They saw what they saw through the VR archontic headset. They heard what they heard through the devices of the headset that go over the ears. And they followed that information, indoctrination, implication, insinuation. And they ended up living a life which was not the life they intended to live. So I ask you, how are you going to live the life that you as a free and sovereign divine child of the Aeonic Mother, an actor in the world drama she dreams, trying to live the life you intend to live, independent of any influences, even mine. I do not in any way wish to affect your intention to live your life but I can instruct you on how to live it as a self-intending, sovereign being. That I can do. And in that respect, I can invite you to become a Thelian. Enough said. And I'll be seeing you in the beauty to come. <laughs>